The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we're here on Voice America. Our host from the Sports Bureau, Spencer the Wizard, otherwise known as Spencer G., otherwise known as Spencer the Blade, otherwise known as Spencer, your political science expert, as we headed to the second half of the NFL season. We're also going to be doing a full college football update. So many things going on. Let's take it right from the top. Welcome to the jungle. Great, great to always be back here on voiceamerica.com. So much to talk about, as you alluded to, with football. College football is coming to a close. I cannot wait to prognosticate and to, to break down all the little wrinkles that you know of, of each playoff hopeful. This is why college football is great, because you can debate for, for pretty much years and years. Or not years, but you could debate for hours on end, and that's what makes it so special. Tonight, one of the more shocking upsets in recent memory. You have the Texans that have gotten blown out by the Atlanta Falcons this year, and the Texans also got humiliated by a Dolphins team that is pretty average themselves. So the Texans have looked like the worst team in the NFL for quite a long time. And today, they just defeated the best team in the NFL in the best quarterback that's been playing in the NFL this year. So for Andy Dalton, this is a big step um, setback because you look at Dalton and the mark on him is that he's pretty good in the regular season, but he can't play well in the playoffs. And that A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert and his weapons are, and a good defense is kind of what makes Dalton go. And he's capable of having really poor outings because of his lack of arm strength, um, just, his, just his lack of throwing the football down the field and, and really making smart decisions and quickly processing a defense. And today, I think all of his flaws were taken by Houston. Houston pressured Dalton. Dalton was throwing late, and he just wasn't in control like he was against the Browns in another primetime game, like he was against the Steelers earlier this season. And I know it's one loss, and the, and the Bengals did have 13 days to sever and think about what an easy win the Texans should be. But nonetheless, I mean, this just doesn't give you confidence if you're a Bengals fan with Dalton, because he is capable of just having a horrific outing like tonight. And if this happens in the playoffs again, he could be, what is it, 0-5 
in his career for the playoffs. And then even if he froze like 25 touchdowns the rest of the season and plays miraculously, the in the society we live in, the world we live in, it's all about what can you do for me in the postseason this particular year. And so that's the narrative. And unfortunately, Dalton, who really cares what he does the rest of the season? That That's that's the society we live in. So uh, huge win for the Texans, though. They play in the worst division in football. They could seriously make the playoffs. Their dreams of winning a Super Bowl, not that far-fetched. Speaking of underdogs, T.J. Yates came in in relief of Brian Hoyer, who went out with a concussion. Of all people, a forgotten man without a team, found himself in the middle of the maelstrom and was the instrument of the play of the game. This is a pass to a very small sliver of the end zone. DeAndre Hopkins made a one-handed grab caught the ball and showed incredible presence to keep both feet down and this was the winning play of the game and uh, I have to contrast this with the worst play that I witnessed in the Eagles game Miles Austin who literally slept walked through the entire game and in my view deserves to be given a pink slip and to be going into oblivion had the ball. There was plenty of room in the end zone. All he had to do was get both feet down. So he got one foot down, and without dragging it, something he should have learned in high school, he basically, you know, I guess he thought he was back in college. He he just, you know, took a big step with the second foot and ended up right on the line, and this would have been the winning touchdown in a pass for Mark Sanchez. So Miles Austin also, the defining play was an interception in the end zone. Obviously, uh, I blame Chip Kelly for running. One thing you don't want to do is run your quarterback, a right-handed quarterback, to the left. Automatically, number one, a guy who hasn't taken a first-team snap all season, you're, you're going you're gonna to create inaccuracy. So he, he, he designed the play, ran Sanchez to the left, threw the ball, and it was picked off uh, you know, in the end zone. But if you look at the replay, Miles Austin... Isn't, isn't even looking, isn't even attempting the ball. Another play, Austin ran, he was wide open, he didn't even look for the ball, and finally another Miles Austin play, he was wide open in the flat, and instead of just looking for the ball, he went and blocked somebody, so clearly his mind wasn't there, he just doesn't care, he's collecting a paycheck. On the opposite end, you got DeAndre Hopkins, who made, made a play like uh, like Beckham Jr., you know, that classic one-armed grab, kept his feet down, and an improbable but important win. And you look at the Texans, at four wins and five losses, sit atop the AFC South. Absolutely, and you, you alluded to the Eagles game yesterday and, and them losing to the Miami Dolphins, and I think the Eagles outplayed Miami. I think they had tons of chances to win that game. They were up 16-3, to and Mark Sanchez, I, I think that the offense looks a lot better with Sanchez. I think that he gets the ball out quickly. He's very decisive. He's a great athlete, and... I think that compared to Sam Bradford, who's Mr. Slow-Mo, everything Sam Bradford does is so slow. He doesn't have any excitement. Even Sanchez could throw a 15-yard pass with some velocity. I think the Eagles are in pretty good shape heading into 
heading into Tampa Bay, I think that the Eagles have a great chance to do damage if they win the NFC East. I think the Giants and the Eagles yesterday are, are looking like two teams that could possibly represent the NFC in the Super Bowl because the Green Bay Packers are stinking up the joint. They lost to Detroit yesterday. Aaron Rodgers looks totally lost. And is Aaron Rodgers ever going to return to another Super Bowl? Who knows? But the bottom line is that Green Bay is just not looking very good. I know Minnesota's looking pretty nice. They beat Oakland on the road yesterday. But in the NFC, you don't have any capable teams like a Seattle, like a San Fran with Harbaugh, like a Green Bay that are actually playing to their potential. You have all these new guys at the top. You have the Vikings. You have the undefeated Carolina Panthers. And these Panthers, they haven't won two consecutive playoff games yet in like probably like seven years. So you have Cam Newton, who's, who's having a great year. You have a nice, terrific defense and running game. So Carolina's playing pretty well. But at the same time, this isn't a historically great team with coaching and playoff experience like a Bill Belichick, like a Mike Tomlin, or a quarterback that's battle-tested in the postseason. So you look at the Giants yesterday, they, they held toe-to-toe with the NFL's best, and if you're talking about a one-game scenario, I think the Giants can pose a threat to the NFC and possibly can win the can win the world cha- could be world champions again. I think the Giants yesterday and Bruce, you saw this whole football game yesterday. You saw the Giants play New England. I think the Giants can be world champions. I look at the Eagles; they have tons of talent. If they make it into the playoffs, they can get hot and win some games and get close to the championship because. The Eagles' best season, ironically, was when they were wild cards. They beat Minnesota on the road. They beat the Giants on the road. And then McNabb engineered a drive back, and they were winning in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go. They could have went to a Super Bowl. So in the NFL, you throw rankings out the window. Eagles have a ton of talent. The Giants are looking a lot better. The Seahawks are still a very good football team. I would still take them on a neutral field. So the NFL is wide open this year for teams that finish 9-7 and seven or 10-6 and six to win the championship and be world champions. I agree with certain points you make. I think the Giants are the class of the NFC East. What, what we saw at 4 o'clock was 60 minutes of beautifully played football. Back and forth, you saw Eli Manning Played a great game. JPP returned to form, had a great sack. It just was a big force in the game. And and it was really a playoff-style game. Who was there? John Bon Jovi was there right on the sidelines. And you, you looked at the way Tom Brady had to come back with a minute left, with no timeouts, the way he engineered the game. And literally, there was a point where he needed to cross in order for Guskowski to be able to kick that winning field goal. And he managed every second perfectly. He was poised. He was not shaken. He knew exactly how to manage the clock. And and again, I'm I'm not you know, I won't suggest that I'm a big Patriots fan, but I believe Tom Brady is the best quarterback to ever wear the uniform. I am old enough to have seen John 
to see Joe Montana play. Now, the thing about Montana is he didn't have a strong arm, but he was very clutch. He won four Super Bowls. He had a tremendous supporting cast. He had Jerry Rice, the best wide receiver of all time. He had Bill Walsh, the innovator. And you look at Tom Brady. What has he had? A revolving door of wide receivers and running backs. And he seems to win at all times. And just an amazing player. You look at Peyton Manning, who has the, who's the best regular season player, who just came off a record throw where he actually uh, surpassed Brett Favre. It's interesting they cut to Brett Favre. He was literally in a tree hunting, and somehow they captured him on remote, congratulating Peyton Manning, which was really an interesting uh, moment of live television. I didn't see this. Was this from a was this from a deer blind like Brett Favre was, or was he in his home? Like where was this interview conducted? As you would say, a deer blind. He was literally up in a tree in full camouflage, and and he and he congratulated Peyton Manning, and so it was it was really kind of an epic remote uh, that you were, you were actually at the Patriots uh, games. So you weren't able to see this. So I guess I'm guessing Brett Favre was maybe FaceTiming Peyton. I'm really surprised that he actually had cell phone service in Hattiesburg up in the middle of a deer blind. I'm really surprised. And there's no way maybe Brett Favre can afford this to have a television in a deer blind. So it must have been an alert from a friend. He must have been tuned into the game or CBS. And Oh, maybe it was a message, a pre-recorded message by Brett Favre to CBS. Maybe it was a pre-recorded interview because that is just fascinating that that would actually occur. All you need is a cell phone, really. When you think about it, you could you could do a FaceTime cell phone. And they were feeding it through a major network. And so um, I, I think that there is anticipation, obviously, that, that Manning was going to break the record and that that's where Favre chose to be. And it's kind of an offbeat guy. He might, he might have selected that as, as his area where, where he was showing the world that he was still very active, not just sitting there watching the game, waiting to mail it in. I love Brett Favre because he does have that kind of persona. He's such a gunslinger. He's a guy that, again, is going to... I love that he takes risks. I love that he fought to not retire. He truly loves football and was so saddened to have it taken away from his life. Your whole narrative on Tom Brady is really clutch. You wouldn't be saying that if Landon Collins caught the lollipop that Brady threw up in the air for him to catch. You would be saying how Eli beat Tom Brady. Brady again, how Tom Brady didn't get it done, how the Patriots looked mediocre, you know, how the Patriots looked very beatable, and they did. They looked beatable. The Giants had the game. They Odell Beckham couldn't complete a catch. Landon Collins dropped an interception. The Patriots converted on fourth down in the final drive. A lot of things went into the Patriots winning. They got a lot of bounces for them to win, and the Patriots simply aren't that dominating of a team. I thought they looked very pedestrian yesterday. I will admit Brady at, did take advantage of the Giants' mistake, but to say, but if Eli Manning beats Brady 
Brady again in the Super Bowl, it would actually be better for Brady to lose in the AFC title game this year than to lose another Super Bowl. That's the kind of world that we live in now. Because if Eli beats Tom again, are we then going to say Eli's better than Tom Brady and and Eli's better than Peyton Manning? Because that can reasonably happen. A Giants-Patriots rematch and Eli beats Brady again. What are you then going to say about Tom Brady if he loses three Super Bowls where Montana didn't lose any? Are you not going to reward Tom Brady for getting to another Super Bowl? To answer the question, I think that the chance of the Giants going to Super Bowl, or the Eagles for that matter, is extremely remote. However, you alluded to certain points. It's just been a very weird season. Seattle just doesn't look right. Look at Green Bay. What's wrong with Aaron Rodgers? What team is there outside of Carolina? And Carolina reminds me a little bit of the Cincinnati Bengals. They they are they're a team that just they just don't have the experience. So I could definitely see Carolina losing, although they're going to be hosting in the playoffs. Certainly, they have a little home field advantage, but not like the twelfth man in Seattle. So. Could a team emerge and just get really hot? Well, Eli Manning played great yesterday. And Odell Beckham played great. Uh, Dwayne Harris, I think think that's his name, made made a tremendous touchdown grab. I I think he's a really good player. He's really emerging. But one of of the funniest plays I've ever seen, you'll never see again, is an 82-yard punt return by Danny Amendola, his own man, tripped him up and tackled him on, on the third yard line. You will never see that again. A guy who is running in for a touchdown, his own teammate tackled him on the three yard line. That You'll never see that. You'll never see that again. Crazy plays all over the field. Big plays from Odell. The Danny Amendola play when he was running in was, was kind of comical. But you said the Giants are long shots. So let's let's go ahead and break down their road to, to, to the to the title game. So in the NFC right now, you the Giants would be hosting a playoff game, you assume versus a wild card team. So maybe like a Minnesota, okay? The Giants host the Vikings. Okay, I reasonably believe that the Giants can beat the, the that the Giants can win a playoff game at home versus the Vikings. Okay, or you know the Packers will be very hard as a wild card. The the Seahawks will be devastating. That would be the worst draw possible. I still think the Seahawks, if you took them on a neutral field, they can beat anybody. I think that they're the best team in the NFL, even though they're struggling right now. If they get it together, they're going to be world champions again because that because the the cream rises to the top, and the Seahawks are just not taking the regular season serious. And in the NFL, the regular season doesn't mean all that much. So for the New York Giants, though, to get back to point of them being long shots, the Giants would have to win a playoff game at home, and then they'd go to Carolina. You think that Eli and and, um, Tom Coughlin are going to be super scared about going to Carolina to take on Ted Ginn and that joke of a receiving core that Carolina has? I could totally see the Giants beating Carolina. They beat a 15-1 Green Bay team four years ago in the playoffs. So is it unreasonable to think that the New York Giants, a team that should have beaten the best team in the NFL yesterday, had them on the ropes... 
how is it unreasonable for them to go in the playoffs and win the championship and be world champions and win a couple of games? Because yesterday they showed you that they are capable of being special enough to complete that task in my mind. They played a really good game yesterday. But you got to look at... In my opinion, number one, New England is is battered. They have a ton of injuries. And a lot of people predicted that, that one of these games are going to lose. They lost Julian Edelman earlier in the game. He broke. He suffered a broken foot. He underwent surgery today. He's not going to be back for at least three to six weeks. So they were really down to the last straw was Danny Amendola. It, it also looked like Gronkowski... It didn't look right. I don't know. Maybe the Giants really took him out of his game. They must have been double covering him. But Danny Amendola really saved that game. He was the last straw. And you, you looked at the uh, the Patriots running game was was not good. The, the 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 Patriots have a banged up offensive line, and they're totally they're totally injured. So I believe the the uh, the Giants were relatively healthy. And they, they they had a good home crowd. They played a great game. Eli, I thought, played a sterling game, scoring a touchdown, going into halftime. They, they played everything right. And if they weren't up against you know what, what, a Hall of Fame kicker, you know, you ask a guy to kick a fifty-four yard field goal outdoors to uh, to win a game. Not many guys could have done that. So I think it was a bad break for the, for the Giants. Like you mentioned, the, uh, Brady did throw that, the one lollipop pass. Oh, the, the guy with the safety, what was his name? Landon Collins. Inexcusable. Should have caught that pass. If he did what I've said, that Brady isn't still the best player, the best quarterback? No. It would have been a bad pass. Everybody makes a bad pass. He was under pressure. I watched the game. I saw the replay. I'm commending him for being clutch, though. I'm commending him for being great by anybody's definition. Not just clutch, but great. Yeah, of course. I think that Tom Brady's great as well. It's just going to be interesting if he loses another Super Bowl. I think that for the Giants, though, yesterday to hang with the best, I guess New England, what you're gathering is that they're not going to go 16-0. and That would be awesome if they did. In fact, I would root for them to go 18-0 and and lose to the Giants again, and I could totally see that happening. I mean, this is the year where there's no dominant teams. As long as Seattle doesn't get good, I think that the, the NFC's best teams that have the best chance to win the Super Bowl are, are the Giants, the Green Bay Packers. And 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 that's about it. If Seattle doesn't make the playoffs, those are the two teams. I think the Giants will actually make the Super Bowl. So, and if the Giants don't win the division and the Eagles do, I would say the Eagles and Green Bay are the best two teams in the NFC. If if that's going to be the case, I think the Eagles are one of the worst teams in the league, and I'm a huge Eagles fan. Um, you look at they have no wide receivers at all. Chip Kelly. Has, has made te- you know, terrible plays. Yesterday, Bre- uh, Brent Selleck, in the first quarter, caught two log passes. Did they go back to him again but one time? No. They had a choice of bringing Aguilar in, who was healthy, who, who's proven to be a guy who's got speed and good hands. Instead, they played Josh Huff and Miles Austin. And those guys weren't even looking for the ball. It was just terrible. 
terrible play selection. The Eagles had a 16-3 lead with half of the first quarter left. And in the last three quarters, scored a total of three points. This team has been uh, completely, completely inconsistent all year. And you look at a pedestrian Dolphins team, basically going up and down the field, and the Eagles aren't the team. Now, I'm also looking, I'm not discounting the Redskins. They had a great victory yesterday, albeit against the Saints. Uh, one of the great prognosticators, a guy named Gary Kaminsky, as we were driving home from the game, he said, I can't believe Rob Ryan still has a job. He's been terrible everywhere. He was terrible at Dallas, terrible at Oakland. And look at him in New Orleans. They spent a lot of money on the defense. They got blown out yesterday by Kirk Cousins. So what happened today? Today, Rob Ryan got fired. Yeah, and I would not want to be a bar owner in New Orleans the day that Rob Ryan gets fired. So, Rob Ryan, his awful hair looks like he's never showered in five years. I love Rob Ryan for for every reason, because he's like Rex Ryan's evil twin. (laughs) The point is, though, he wasn't getting the job done. Jimmy Haslam did a lot better job with the Saints. They're a complete mass disarray. Drew Brees did everything to get that team to where it is, and they're a dumpster fire, and they make Kirk Cousins look spectacular. Now, I like Kirk Cousins, but even then, you shouldn't be giving up 20 of 25 and, and four TDs like Cousins had a perfect passer rating. So your point about the Eagles, yeah, they looked bad versus Miami. But, yeah, they're inconsistent as heck. They haven't had a good season yet is the key word yet. If the Eagles can make the playoffs, they have the talent to go to go on the road and pick up wins in bunches and go to the Super Bowl and possibly win a Super Bowl because they have D'Amico Ryan, they have Michael Kendricks, they have a fantastic defensive line, Fletcher Cox, Benny Logan. They have talented pieces. And if the Eagles could put some things together, play football well, Mark Sanchez plays well and is the starting quarterback the rest of the year, you look at the NFC, in a one-game scenario, Eagles going to Minnesota, I'm not that scared. Are you that scared of Minnesota? No. Are you that scared of Carolina? No. So the NFC is wide open. The NFL is a league of inconsistencies, and it only matters how well you're playing at the end of the year and how talented your team is as a whole. If Seattle gets in 10-6, and six, they're going right back to San Francisco. They're going to the Super Bowl, and we won't even be talking about how horrific they've looked in the first 10 games of the year because the NFL, you need to turn the page all the time, and that's what you need to learn. In the NBA... The best team wins. In the NFL, the most talented team playing well at the right time will win. And the Eagles are right in position. They're one game out of first place to make the playoffs. This is why you can't discount teams like Houston and the Eagles. Because no one remembers week two and week three anymore when it's week 15 of the NFL season. That's what makes the game beautiful. That's what makes the NFL fantastic. Sometimes losing games helps teams in the long run. It's not like college football. I'd like to briefly... Take a look at the at the Eagles game and give you my thoughts. Firstly, the worst game Jason Kelsey ever played. He announced that. 
He snapped the ball for the third time this year. He's a veteran center. Snapped the ball over Bradford's head at a very critical point in the game. And and that that was a, a game changer. Also looking at the special teams of the Eagles. Last year they were ranked number one in the NFL special teams. Yesterday they had a, a punt blocked that gave that directly led to a Dolphins touchdown. They had a long kickoff return of 40 yards that was nullified by a boneheaded illegal block in the back. And another crucial play was essentially a missed extra point. 34-yard field goal lined up perfectly. And this was uh, was missed by Caleb Sturgis. Look at the game. It's a one-point game. So, so that field goal, look at special teams, lost the game for the Eagles. So the offensive line played terrible. They couldn't block in the second half for DeMarco Murray. The running game just died. Let's talk about injury update. Sam Bradford was knocked out of one play, literally. He had a concussion. He said he couldn't remember the first half. He couldn't remember anything the first half. And for me, not to make light of his injury, but the the last three quarters of the game were not memorable with a total of three points. Ryan Matthews, who's been a spark, their bright spot for the last three games, also went out with a concussion. There's no word on how severe. So right now, the Eagles are in total disarray. They lose their starting quarterback. Mark Sanchez goes in there. Again, ill-fated, All he had to do was kneel the ball down, even get sacked. They would have kicked a field goal and would have likely won the game. But Chip Kelly, for whatever reason, you know, and he calls all the plays. These these quarterbacks don't audible. Called a play for Bradford, I'm sorry, for Sanchez to run to the left. He had Brett Selleck open in the flat. Instead, tried to force it into Miles Austin. Miles Austin listless play, totally asleep, didn't try to break up the the play. So you look at the Eagles, they've got Aguilar, who's been injured the last four weeks with a high ankle strain, and you've got Jordan Matthews with a lot of drops. You just don't win in the NFL with, with poor skill players. Now you've got Ryan Matthews injured, Darren Sproles ineffective yesterday, and D'Amico Murray, I'm sorry, um, DeMarco Murray, was uh, it's amazing how these names are so similar. You you've got you've got Ryan Matthews and you've got D'Amico Ryan's and you've got Jordan Matthews. So uh it's not that easy to keep track of these names. So you look at the team, you, I did see some really good plays by uh the defensive backs yesterday for the Eagles. That was one of their bright spots. D'Amico Ryans was all over the field. Kiko Alonso still doesn't look right. I think so far it's turning out that Buffalo got the best of the trade. With Shady McCoy, is 10 times better. Kiko Alonso has not been a force at all. And let's just talk about, let's go quickly around the NFL. Then I want, we were going to flash to college football. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the Eagles had every chance to win. Sam Bradford hasn't been doing that well this year. I know he got injured, but you got to see what you have in Mark Sanchez, a guy that's a proven veteran. He looked very sharp yesterday, uh, albeit he made a poor decision. But the Eagles still have a lot to hang their hat on. They still have a lot of talent. Miami's not a horrific team. They play the. They they have a very very easy schedule going into the playoffs. They could start racking up wins and can compete. Uh, for the NFC East. I mean, they destroyed the Giants a couple weeks ago. The Giants do look like a different team, but it's just amazing how the NFL can change because two weeks ago, you had the Giants go to the Saints and look like a middle school flag football team on defense. It looked like they were literally in elementary school. The cornerbacks looked like they've never played any down of football. It was like you picked people up off of the street and told them to go guard Drew Brees and the Saints. And they let up 52 points and Saints and Drew Brees threw for like, it felt like 8,000 yards. Then they played Tom Brady and Tom Brady had a lot of trouble throwing interceptions against that same defense. That is the NFL in a nutshell. If the Eagles win the next two games, which they easily can, the tune of Chip Kelly will change. Ryan Matthews, Mark Sanchez, the whole town will then start to buzz once again. The green lights will come out for the winter time, and that is the nature and scope of the NFL. You need to look past one game here or there, but the Eagles cannot mess up that much going forward anymore, especially with the Giants now looking like they can actually get to 9 and 7 or 10 and 6. I'm giving you my upset my upset alert for the next week. Mark it down. The Bills will beat the Patriots in Foxborough. Why is that? Firstly, they're going to, you don't have to agree. That's what we call it an upset. You look at the Bills, they're healthy. Tyrod Taylor is going to have another week of first team reps under his belt, and he's going to be great. And Tom Brady isn't going to have any place to go. They're going to be double teaming uh, Grykowski and. They're, the wide receivers, the running backs, New England's beaten up. It took They were on fumes to win that game against the Giants, and I think it took a lot out of them. And I think it's just time. If you look at the league, it's a, it's a game of ups and downs. I think that New England is going to look past the Bills, and the Bills will win the game. The Bills are, are right in the middle of a wild card hunt. Look at them. They're right in there with the Oakland Raiders, the Pittsburgh Steelers, must-win game for the Bills, and I think the Bills will win this game. I doubt it because Buffalo doesn't have a winning culture. They've never won in Foxborough in a million years. They're still playing with a gigantic monkey on their back, and that monkey will get them late. I think the Bills lose late. You make compelling points. The Bills have 14 days to prepare for the game, too, since they played on Thursday. I look at another team in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs. You can't forget about them. Four and five and played wonderfully against Denver. It looked like the Chiefs were down and out and they've been on a freaking roll. Andy Reid after the bye week is untouchable. The defense looks back. The whole team is gelling now. I mean, 
even though after they lost Charles, you thought they were done. I mean, Kansas City could be a team that is really on the rise, could could possibly win a wild card and might not be an easy out. I mean, going forward, that was a tremendous, tremendous win for Kansas City yesterday. Uh, looking around the NFL as well, Minnesota going to Oakland. I mean, that was a pretty special win. Cam Newton balling out versus Tennessee. Some games, but the Chiefs. Kansas City. It's time to switch gears. We're going to college football. Okay. It looks like it's time for a break, and we're up against it. We'll be back in three. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc and Spencer G. on the Voice America Sports Network. I want to thank Ray Ellis. He did a wonderful job on fans interference as he was our guest host leading into the Eagles-Miami game. I want to thank Jeff Spinard, the president of the network at voiceamerica.com, for the continued privilege of reaching all the listeners across the ter- terrestrial network. It's time now for College Football Roundup. We're going to start off by talking about the Oklahoma Sooners. Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, who looks like the, the, the closest thing to Johnny Football. This guy just knows how to win. He's a six-foot guy, and he's got a you know, medium-arm talent. But this guy has got everything rolling for the Oklahoma Sooners. We had Bob Stoops, who came on and is really juiced and believes that his team has the ability and has the strength of schedule if they went out to make it to the Final Four. Oklahoma got possibly the win of the season going to Waco Saturday night. 
and beating the Baylor Bears in their new stadium, in their house with Jared Stidham, rain falling down in South Texas. An incredible, incredible game on ESPN. So much fun to see what Lincoln Riley can do with this air raid offense. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield. He was a kid that transferred from Texas Tech, had no Division One offers coming out of Lake Travis High School, the same high school as Jared Gilbert, who now plays for the St. Louis Rams of the NFL. And, believe it or not, Nick Foles also came from that high school, I believe. I might be wrong. I think it might be Drew Brees. I might be wrong. Point is, Baker Mayfield went to Texas Tech, walked on, won the starting job there. Had a successful freshman year, was named freshman Big 12 Player of the Year. And then, Texas Tech didn't re-up his scholarship because Davis Webb, a quarterback from Prosper, Texas, a six foot seven freshman, had a stellar second half of the year, and Texas Tech won the Holiday Bowl after Mayfield got injured. So Mayfield felt like he was second on the totem pole. He wisely, it's so funny that I would say wisely, he went up north to his dream school in Norman, Oklahoma. He was a kid who grew up in Austin, Texas, right in the Longhorns' backyard, but he was the only one of his friends that liked the Sooners because his dad took him to Sooners games. They knew very well the coach of Oklahoma for a long time. It was Brian Bosworth's coach. I'll think of the name in a little... Tom Osborne? That's Nebraska, but... um, I'll, I'll figure the name. Uh, oh my gosh, it's right on the tip of my he, tongue. He coached Dallas Cowboys. Yes, he did. Guy? Switzer. Barry Switzer, the legendary. His dad knew him. So Mayfield, imagine this. He was playing intramural softball because he transferred to Oklahoma and he was so under the radar. He was playing Halo and softball in the dorm room. No one knew who this guy was and he went to the first day of tryouts and, and Bob Stoops was like, you're Baker Mayfield, you know, you're the six foot kid, you know, coming in here, you're Baker. He just showed up unannounced, you know, and and then he played a year on the practice squad because, again, he had transfer issues with the NCAA and from tech and everything, he couldn't play for a year. And Trevor Knight, this was the, this was after the year that Trevor Knight had the best game of his career versus the Alabama Crimson Tide, number nine, Trevor Knight from San Antonio. Everybody was thinking that this kid Trevor Knight would be an NFL player would be an NFL like you know pick you know in a couple of years but he flamed out after one season and that was really his claim to fame Trevor Knight was the was the Sugar Bowl versus Alabama a couple years ago Baker Mayfield comes onto the scene wins the job versus Cody Thomas and Trevor Knight and Mayfield and this team with Lincoln Riley, this air raid offense, they've looked fantastic. Corey Shepard, one of the best wide receivers in the country. You have a tandem of Mixon, Joe Mixon, and um, Samarje Perrine running the football for the Sooners. Their defense is playing a lot better. This is just such a fun team to watch. They beat Tennessee coming back from 17-3 earlier in the season, so they have that nice win against an SEC team on the road in Knoxville. They can pad that to their resume as 
Tennessee is going to finish 8-4 probably. So the Sooners are in great shape. They play Oklahoma State, who's undefeated, and they host TCU with a banged-up Josh Doxson and Trevon Boykin. I mean, this both guys are banged up. TCU barely got past Kansas, the worst team in NCAA football. So the Sooners should win their next two games, get to 11-1, and and then we can start chatting about the playoffs some more. We're looking at the top four. Clubs and Tigers, obviously they, they don't have a very strong schedule, but they rolled last week. They're going to stay in the number one position. Um, Alabama Crips and Tide look really strong. I, I put them in number two. Then you've got a bunch of teams. You still have Notre Dame that I think is in the mix. And as you said, Oklahoma is an up-and-coming team. You, you, you look at uh, – we're, we're trying to think of other teams that are in – Ohio State is coming on strong. The, the defending national champs, they're undefeated. they're undefeated. So you've got to really look at them. They're not going to have a, a big challenge. They're probably going to play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship. And they're probably going to win. So, looking at it now, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have a crowded field, and there's always going to be controversy. I think you're going to be down to six teams that all could lay claim to the Final Four. Spencer, g- give us your top four now, concisely, and why. Well, the top four that I think of right now is going to be pretty simple. It's going to be Ohio State undefeated, Clemson undefeated, Alabama that that is undefeated. So, or, or no, they have one loss to Ole Miss. So, yes. and then, so I do have Ohio State undefeated. You have Oklahoma, Notre well, Dame. Well, well, right now it's Oklahoma State. They're the undefeated team in the right. Big Twelve. Right. I think Oklahoma State. They've they've been surviving every single week. It's kind of hilarious what Mike Gundy's team has done. They almost lost to Central Michigan. Iowa State had them. Iowa State, like a mediocre Big 12 team. I don't think Oklahoma State's that good. I think that TCU was overrated from the start with so many defensive guys leaving last year, and Oklahoma State exploited them. Their schedule's been absolute cake so far. I think it's hysterical that Oklahoma State and Iowa are undefeated still. I mean, they are winning games, but they're not doing it in flashy ways. They're almost losing games, but they're finding ways late, late-time heroics to win. Interesting thing about Oklahoma State is they host their next two games in Stillwater. They have Baylor coming up to Stillwater. I think that game has trap game written all over it. I think Baylor's going to be very motivated. I still think Stidham's a great quarterback. I just think it was the rain and the conditions in Oklahoma's defense that really held them in check. I don't think Oklahoma State's that good of a football team. I definitely don't see them winning out. I can't see them beating the Sooners either. For College football's sake, I want Oklahoma State to beat Baylor because I want the the Bedlam game, which is Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. I want that to be the biggest game in the history of Oklahoma, in the history of the state. I want that state to almost explode. I want that game to be prime time on ESPN, November 28th, right after we finish digesting our turkey, and I want to settle into that game because that could be the that could be the biggest game possibly in Big 12 history. So that would be fantastic if they're undefeated. And so as you mentioned, Iowa, they still have to go to Nebraska. 
Nebraska beat Michigan State. Nebraska has a bye week. It's a 3.30 game on Black Friday. Iowa, I mean, they've favored from a very, very weak Big Ten West. I could see Iowa getting tripped up. And then you have Ohio State. They still have Michigan State. Connor Cook's injured. Michigan State lost to Nebraska. Michigan State needed a miracle to beat Michigan. I don't think that Michigan State is that good. I think Ohio State will win pretty comfortably. But then going to Ann Arbor to face Harbaugh and Michigan's team, that's not going to be easy either. Let's talk Heisman Trophy. Uh, we, we can look at number seven, the running back for LSU. Uh, other than the game against Alabama, when it seems like the, the whole team was king on him, he's had a, he's had a tremendous season. You, you, you look at Baker Mayfield, obviously playing great. You look at the Clemson quarterback, another guy who's in there for the Heisman. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. So the fact is, it's not a clear cut winner this year and in some ways it's more fun this way Spencer I want you to go around and and you're very good at at with respect to college personnel you're able to retrieve the names and you know their bios by heart and let's let's talk about the guys you think are in the pool for the Heisman and who ultimately will take the big prize well, interestingly enough, I mean, Greg Ward Jr. at Houston was having a good season. I do think it's a clear-cut Heisman. I think it will be a kind of boring Heisman again, because I think Derrick Henry's got it locked up at Alabama. I mean, the guy dominated the head-to-head before net. He had over 200 yards again versus Mississippi State. Uh, against Texas A&M, the guy dominated. He's putting up astronomical numbers. He's just like Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram. Typical strong Alabama back. They rely on him because Jay Coker and the wide receivers are not, uh, they're not really a, a top. They're not a passing team at all. Everything runs for Derrick Henry. So I could I see him running away with this uh, figuratively. And I, I see Fournette then being second. You look at Dalvin Cook at Florida State, who's having a very impressive season. Deshaun Watson, if they go undefeated, should definitely get noticed. Ezekiel Elliott from Ohio State. You have a lot of notables this year. Um, Paxton Lynch was a guy at Memphis who's going to be a very high draft pick and had a successful season. But I think it's Derrick Henry's to win. I want to talk about if you're the NCAA, and I'm going to ask you this question. Notre Dame lost to Clemson 23-21 to in the rain, a very close game. But Notre Dame's an independent. They don't play in a conference. But Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They sell tickets. They're, they're a name brand. They got Rudy. They have fans all over the country that have never even went to Notre Dame. Most of their fans are actually in the Northeast, where Bristol is, where ESPN is. They're a money-making machine. I look at Oklahoma at 11 and 1 versus Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's 11 and 1, they beat Stanford. It's just so tough to put Notre Dame to keep Notre Dame out just from a financial standpoint with this college football playoff. That's part of the reason why Baylor and TCU got left off last year cuz Ohio State and Urban Meyer money-making machine. They want name brands in the national title hunt. So 
You have Clemson. I think that they could possibly lose to North Carolina. North Carolina hasn't lost since week one versus South Carolina. Clemson still has to play South Carolina in Columbia. Big time rivalry game in the state of South Carolina. And then they have to play North Carolina, who's 11 and 1 and could still possibly beat them. So North Carolina is not eliminated either. But the dream scenario, I think it's going to come down to Oklahoma or Notre Dame if all things go according to script and Notre Dame beat Stanford. Notre Dame lost to Clemson. The, a team that would maybe go undefeated, and Oklahoma lost to a Texas team that's 4-8. Notre Dame crushed Texas. But Oklahoma plays in the Big 12, and their last three wins would all be on national television. All 8 o'clock games, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and then TCU all top 15 wins so you look at Notre Dame they beat Temple you think that who do you think will be in 11-1 Notre Dame or or Oklahoma at 11-1 I think Oklahoma will get in if it's if it's between certainly Oklahoma's got a very storied history Um, going back as you say Tom Osborne Billy Sims uh, a, gr- a great team, a great tradition, and also bringing in that whole region, which is uh, the south, the the, the south uh, east, which is an extremely football uh, r- rabbit town. So, I could see certainly. You look at Clemson. If Clemson st- stutters at all, they're going to be out. And and I I don't think that there, anybody's rooting for Clemson to be in that Final Four. I think clearly Alabama and Ohio State. Everybody wants to see those two teams. Yeah. Certainly, the uh, ESPN wants to see them. And you, you look at Oklahoma, such an exciting team, such a good story. Hard, hard to not root for, for that scenario. And, um, and then Notre Dame. And if Notre, Notre Dame would be perfect. They would love it. They'd love to see Clemson on the outs. They'd love to see Oklahoma State on the outs. They're not rooting for Oklahoma State to be in there. So I think that's your big four. That's your power four. That would be perfect. Ironically, if everything is according to script, you could possibly have Iowa, Clemson, and Oklahoma State in the, in the Final Four with Alabama. And is that a nightmare in terms of selling tickets? I would probably think yes. But would it be a ton of fun? Absolutely. It would be very, very fun and intriguing to see those teams. Something I want to analyze coming from, you know, we've got families here on Bruce's Sports Talk. I loved last year's setup of watching the playoff games on New Year's Day. Because on Saturday, you can go out, party, throw back some champagne, relax, watch the ball drop on TV, or whatnot. You're with your family. You're going out to dinner. You're with your kids. It's relaxing. And then you sleep late, New Year's Day. And then at 4 o'clock, you can settle in, get get an early appetizer of some mini hot dogs, and watch. You watched the Rose Bowl. You watched Winston Mariota. And then you went right into the nightcap on New Year's Eve as well. Went out to, or New Year's Day, excuse me, went out to dinner and got to see Ohio State play Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. This year, you're going on New Year's Eve, you're going to have a game at 8 o'clock on New Year's Eve. Can you talk about. <laughs> 
Can you talk about a logjam of commitments? You have your wife, you have your girlfriend in some instances. You're going to be with your significant other. And the most important football game of the year, I just don't think it's going to... I mean, college football is so big, people are not going to want to miss it. I just think it's a crucial error. Have the game on New Year's Day. You know, and, and I think it would make it a lot better, especially for people like say you want to be with your significant other on New Year's Eve, then you can watch the game. Then you could travel to the game on New Year's Day when it's when it's less of a time constraint. I mean, I just think that that was a huge, huge mishap by the NCAA. I think people are going to be watching Ryan Seacrest, you know, you know, from New York City and, and the ball drop. And I think it's just a mess to have to have college football on New Year's Eve. What are your thoughts? I think that's an arrogant play by the NCAA. You're exactly right. People are always in transit on New Year's Eve night. Most people go out to dinner around 8 o'clock at nighttime, and and I think they're going to lose a lot of viewership. And the way it played out last year was much better. But, again, the NCAA, we, we, we could go on and on about their aggregates. They think they're the center of the universe. I think it's a mistake. So... It looks like we're, we've come to the end of this second segment. We had a really nice, large first segment. We appreciate the latitude of our production team at Voice America to allow us rolling through what really was a double segment, almost a triple segment. And Spencer um, showing his knowledge of college football and, and um, you know, ver- very... You know, he he just watches a lot of games, and there's there's not a lot of people north of Clay Travis who are able to comment on college football. So, really enjoy you guys. I know this year we've devoted a lot of time on ESPN fans interference. You've tolerated some uh, some repeats, some replays, but this is fresh meat for everybody, and um, it's our goal certainly to come back next week with a fresh show. So, thanks again. To Ray Ellis, Jeff Spinard, this is Dr. Bruce Grosser, Bruce the Sports Doc, signing off. And always, play safe, don't come in second place. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.